Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to elders past and present. The Hotline is proud to be an ongoing supporter of JIRA, an Aboriginal-controlled community organisation where culture is shared and celebrated. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal, and Black Lives Matter. Are you tired of relying on cis men to give you pleasure? You should be. They're so bad at it. This episode is proudly brought to you by the good folk at Wild Secrets, where you can pick up an Envy clitoral stimulator, perhaps a Lawand Petite massager in the All That Glimmers shade, or how about a trustworthy old Satisfier Pro 2? There's toys aplenty at Wild Secrets, so why not get yourself sorted out? Use my code CLEMO9 to get 20% off all full price purchases over $80. Wildsecrets.com.au. You can't afford not to. Big Sister Hotline, how can we help? Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You're listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny, and feminist advice on life, love, and whether or not you should break up with that no-good Nick boyfriend. What's the answer? The answer is yes. I'm your host, Clementine Ford, author of the books Fight Like a Girl and Boys Will Be Boys, and currently writing the forthcoming memoir, How We Love. You might know this week's guest from her hilarious TikToks and Instagram videos about the daily happenings at the fictional OBCC helpline, a call centre fielding the concern trolling and just factually inaccurate bullshit of fat phobic people and their nonsense everywhere. And just to note that this episode does contain references to fat phobia, disordered eating and eating disorders and basically everything associated with that. Go gently. She's hilarious, warm, witty and wonderful. She is Kara McBee. Kara, how the bloody hell are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I've talked to you before. Uh, at Christmas, we did a live on Instagram and we discussed yeah. the origin of the OBCC helpline. But for people who, for you know, understandable reasons, weren't watching my Instagram on Christmas Day, <laughs> can you explain the origin of the OBCC helpline? Okay, sure. Um, so I had joined TikTok because of uh, lockdown, basically, and it being an entertaining app. Everyone was talking about it. Um, and I quickly, my feed quickly started filling with uh, creators who were in larger bodies. And with that, I saw the commentary on their posts and just thought it was really disgusting. And I wanted to say something about it. So my kind of go to when with crappy situations is to put a 
a comedic spin on it. So I decided to uh, perform a sort of fake helpline for trolls who were annoyed with the fat creators for just existing, basically. Um, and I tore them off a strip. Well, I think I did anyway. <laughs> you definitely did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that was the intention. Um, but I mean, I think what I wanted to do was kind of obviously make people laugh, um, but also just try and give people what my interpretation of what is going on behind some of the comments. So it's not just people wanting to be mean. There's stuff going on there as well. I mean, there is a lot of just straight assholery. Just people do genuinely do just want to be mean sometimes. But I think sometimes there's a bit of projection going on there and, you know, people just not very happy with themselves or so caught up in what society expects of them. And when they see somebody happily existing outside of that, there's confusion there and they want to tear it down instead of examining mm. why they're confused. If that makes sense. Mm. I remember in um, Lindy West's book, Shrill, and she had written about this before. She, she had done the episode of This American Life about confronting her troll and, uh, you know, this man who'd been anonymously harassing her for years, saying terrible things, usually about her body, but also some stuff about her father as well, who had, you know, very sadly passed away. Um, and she tracked her troll down and confronted him about what it was that was compelling him to be this way to her. And he he was willing to have the conversation with her, which made for a really interesting – I think that they spoke on, on – um, they, they recorded their conversation and it made for a really interesting discussion. And he said to her, essentially, I am challenged by your comfort with your body because he was a fat person and he felt like she shouldn't be allowed to be happy in that way because yeah. he wasn't happy. He, he exactly. didn't feel accepted. So how, how dare she? That is exactly it. I mean, and I've, I've been quite open about the fact I, I was quite a fat phobic person myself. There was a lot of internalized fat phobia. I grew up with it. Um, you know, this whole idea that fat is just the absolute worst possible failing in life. Mm. And I did the same thing. I, I was very critical of my own body, even when I was in a slimmer body. And I would look at people and just think, how are you doing this? How are you walking around seemingly without a care? And that, that is exactly it. It hits the nail on the head, being uncomfortable with the fact that other people are very comfortable in their own skin. When mm. we are told from so many different angles that we just don't have a right to be like, no, mm. you're, you're not good enough like that. You're not good enough like that. That's what we hear all the time. And so to see somebody basically walking through life, sticking two fingers up going, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. It's like, oh, the horror. And again, instead of examining why we feel bad, it's like putting it all onto that other person. Well, they're the ones who are currently causing these feelings and I don't like it. So I'm going I want to bring them back into the, within the rules, within these parameters. You know what I mean? It's that kind mm -hmm. of let you need to come back here and sit with me. That's when in my first video, I was like, Oh, you want everyone else to be miserable like you are rather than trying mm -hmm. to kind of move towards being happier and, yeah. It's a little bit like confronting any kind of power structure, isn't it? You know, as feminists, we experience the same thing from women who are terrified of upsetting the apple cart when it comes yeah. to calling out men and when it comes to confronting patriarchy. That the, the projection is, you know, to accuse 
women being agents of patriarchy accusing other women of being all of the worst things that patriarchy will frame yeah uh, you know feminist is just the word that we have for it but but women really who challenge the system yeah uh and they'll be the biggest enforcers of it because they're, they're terrified of what it means to live outside of it i mean it's one thing to say that living outside of patriarchy's expectations and demands could lead to a happier life for you i mean in, in lots of ways it leads to an unhappier life yeah uh, unhappier in the sense that I mean, obviously, objectively speaking, in, in the much bigger picture, it's a much better kind of life, but unhappy in the sense that you have to give a lot of things up. You have to really yeah. sacrifice the um, – you have to sacrifice the slim rewards that are given to you as a woman who endorses the system. Um, rewards, of course, that are complete illusions, but – Yeah, that absolutely. Still f- yeah, that still carry some kind of sway. Um, and I think that that's really scary for people to wrestle with. Well, what? Who am I without that? Who am I without fat phobia? Who am I without a thin body? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. I think with diet culture, especially, it it becomes a part of your identity. It's what everyone talks about everywhere. It's an icebreaker when you sit down to have a meal. You bond mm. over things like, are we going to have dessert? Are we going to be naughty? No, we're not. Mm, yeah, let's have diet a treat. starts Monday. In all that stuff, exactly. And it does, it does, it beca- It definitely becomes part of who we are. When I when I first moved away from diet culture, I did go through a phase of thinking, what the fuck am I going to talk about? Like, I need to walk mm. into a room here and normally I would talk about the food <laughs> and now I can't do that or I'm refusing to mm. do that and I'm refusing to engage in it when others do that. So what do we do? <laughs> it is, it is mm. it's scary. Yeah, definitely. The denial factor is interesting too uh, that, you know, I've I've been a lot bigger than I am now. I've fluctuated with weight my entire life because I've essentially had an eating disorder for thirty years. I mean, since I since I was twelve, um, it's really it's really how do you how do you kind of like unlearn things that have been so formative to you? But it's it's interesting to note that at different points, how allowed quote unquote allowed you feel to eat in public you know that if you're if you're living in a bigger body you shield shield fuel that you need yeah you know you need to have fuel to exist throughout the day but but yeah like the secrecy around eating as well I mean it's also fucked up yeah completely and it's also the fact that such disordered behaviors are so normalized as well Mm. you know everyone talking about you know how many calories are in this and that and that just being everywhere and you know especially from a young age as well you know parents getting so invested in what their kids are eating obviously not obviously parenting you have to be mindful of what your kids are eating right but I mean Mm. in that way where parents want to step in it's like oh you're you're getting a little bit chubby let's start cutting this back and that back and Mm. And that's just seen as normal or your your portion sizes are compared to the kid who's sitting next to you. You know, that's all normal. And yet just the very natural thing of needing to fuel your body adequately is something that's seen as not okay for people who Mm. exist in in larger bodies. It's something I try to be really conscious of with raising my son because I, you know, my parents, bless them, were really 
subject to all of the lessons of society on that basis and they were also carrying their own baggage of you know growing up with um in part in in part sort of growing up with on my mum's side uh, a mother who had you know lost her entire family in the war so uh, had a very skewed understanding of what value was um and on my dad's side you know depression era parents who stretched everything and yeah you know so it's interesting because I had a conversation with my dad a few years ago where I said to him why were you so concerned over the years when we were growing up why were you concerned with my sister and my body because we certainly were subjected to a to a kind of like scrutiny that my brother didn't have of course and he was willing to have a really open conversation about it and he said I think you know a lot of it was his own issues he said growing up I you know had all of these beliefs about what made a a valuable woman and he felt as a young man that he was only able to sounds terrible to voice it out loud but I I appreciate the honesty with which he had the conversation and that as a, a man as well he's subject to the conditions of patriarchy too he felt like he was only able to get a certain yeah. kind of woman and he felt like he that reflected on his persuasive abilities as a man you know or his his place in the hierarchy which I don't think people talk about enough the way that women are used as a mechanism to signal power between men um and I think in some weird way he experienced that again through having daughters that didn't conform to beauty standards that he felt like it was a weird reflection on him so failing on him yeah failing on him and then I think he must have felt guilt about that and so projected it onto us and also fear that we would be seen by other people as being not good yeah. enough. So yeah. like all this complex stuff. And he did say, look, one of the things that I would have done differently if I parented now is I wouldn't have forced you all to eat what was on your plate. Yes. Cause that's the other thing as well. Like how many of us grew up with parents that were like, don't be fat, yeah. but also you won't leave the table until yeah. everything is finished. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had the same growing up with my mom. She was, very very critical of of what we ate um part of it was because we didn't have that much money growing up so you know there wasn't an abundance of food and we did have to be careful with with how much we ate but also things like you know that were considered treats were very Mm. much rationed the biscuits in the packet would get counted so that we didn't so that if we decided we were going to sneak to the kitchen and get something ourselves it would be known about that was an absolute no-no and then you contrast that with when I would go and stay with my nan, who was just like cupboards are open, free for all, go mm. for it. She never had any of these concerns about, you know, being fat or somebody being fat, kind of being a representation of a family failing. There was never any mm. of that for my nan. So I already had that kind of binge and restrict cycle from a really young age because it was the contrast was was huge. And, and the contrast in the attitudes as well was huge because, yeah, my mum was definitely, like you say, with your dad as well, there was definitely this fear of, well, if I have a fat child, people will think I failed. Mm. So, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of projection there. And, the, and yeah, the finishing of the play, I, I, I'm the same as you. I'm so mindful with my kids now to just not put any pressures on, on meal times and things like that because I think the minute food becomes problematic 
then yeah exactly then it, it just sets sets people up for mm. a bad relationship with it yeah and there's another thing this will be interesting or relevant to any parents listening as well that kind of like the use of the dessert as a reward eat all of the food on your plate so that you get your dessert a friend of mine actually she does it really well and it kind of like shifted my thinking around it too she says that she gives it all to her kids at once so that if they get like a little square of chocolate for dessert or whatever she'll put it all on on the the table all at the same time and then they can eat their dessert first if they want yeah. to yeah when she said that to me I was like fuck that's so simple but such an such a like important way to reframe people's conversations around food I mean it's 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 really fucking weird isn't it that this staple thing that we need to survive and that in periods of famine and hardship you know we will do anything we can to get Mm. has become this really fraught way to control people and to distract people's minds and and to be used as a status symbol you know that that the thinner you are the more power you have and the more money you have and the more privilege you have it's just bizarre isn't it you think in some in some cultures throughout history being bigger was a sign of wealth and and virility and and all good things and it's just completely been flipped on its head oh the last thing i'll say on this as well is that i just saw on aileen's page on tinder translators page that she has posted about fat phobia in a pandemic and that's definitely the thing that we've seen so much of in the last year is this kind of like very funny it's so funny kind of joking that has happened around the the fact that people's bodies are changing because we're going through a fucking global pandemic yeah everyone's stuck inside but also terrified and you know it's it is really indicative of how unhealthy this society is and and for for a narrative that positions health as being intrinsically related to the size of someone's body, there's nothing unhealthier than obsessing about how big or how small you are and obsessing about other people's bodies. Like, that's a sickness. But she was saying that, you know, throughout this pandemic in which hundreds of thousands of people have died, it's really indicative of how sick we all are that the thing people are most afraid of is putting on weight. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I've I've found that is that is the biggest thing, and I've I've had to deal with it a lot, um, you know, through you know work interactions and stuff. Again, it's the icebreaker, isn't it? Oh, you know, I ate too much last night, and I really can't mm. keep eating so much because I'm not moving, I'm not going anywhere, and you just want to say you're alive, though, hey, and mm. not everybody has come out of that so lucky. And I just, I really hoped, naively, I suppose, that people would start to see, first of all, that, you know, we don't need to be quite so obsessed with what everyone else looks like, especially, you know, when we're at home and we're, we're counting our blessings and we're, we're alive and we've got, if, if we've been lucky enough, we've still got family members here and everything and we've been granted a bit more time with each other and all that sort of stuff. But no, it's still the obsession. Um, mm. And then also the fact that, Everyone right now is going through hard times. Everyone's struggling with it, no matter how it's affected you personally, with family members passing possibly or a loss of jobs and all the rest of it. Everyone's struggling. And 
we still cannot afford ourselves that little bit of grace to just maybe get a bit fatter. We still mm. can't. And that, that mm. blows my mind. And it, it's, it's upsetting because I really thought people might start to shift their mindsets a bit. But no, it's just all come tumbling back so mm. quickly. Have you found since doing the OBCC helpline and taking more of a public stance against fat phobia and, and putting yourself on the line in lots of ways too because I'm sure that you as much as anyone is subjected to people saying well you're promoting obesity um <laughs> you're pro- you're promoting dignity um have you found that it has like did you come to it thinking I've really addressed all of my fat phobia and I want to call it out and then realized now that you've been doing this for quite a while, oh my God, like I'm actually liberated. I really don't care what people think, like making jokes about it helps. Yeah, 100% because I did, actually, I didn't, when I did the first video, I actually almost, rather than sort of being a bit worried about possibly having trolls, I actually thought to myself, bring it, bring Mm. it, let them come because it won't bother me. I don't, couldn't, give less of a shit what other people think about what my body looks like. And yeah, and I, it, it is, it was a feeling then of just thinking, wow, I really am free of that. Hmm. I mean, I've, there's still, there's still little things that creep in and I'm not sort of saying, oh, my work here is done. That's it. That's what I mean, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, I can, I can really truly say that I can walk through life just not giving one shit about hmm. other people's opinions on, on my body and I just I, I wish I wish that for everyone because the amount of headspace that you free up when you get there is mm. you can't you can't explain it the headspace thing is so interesting isn't it because I was reflecting last night on how I I really feel like uh, I've come to a point in my life where I genuinely have been able to leave behind any concern about what men think of me um I'm not saying that to be like, I don't give a fuck, even though that's true. But I knew that for a long time I didn't care what strangers thought of me. I didn't care mm. if men trolled me on the internet. That you know hasn't bothered me for so long. But kind of waking up and realizing I don't care if I walk into a room and there are men in it and they don't think I'm pretty. Yeah. You know, I don't care if they think what I'm saying is too feminist or whatever it might be. Like I, I've, I feel like it unlocked something where I thought, oh, I, I don't have that concern anymore. And a part of that is scary. This kind of like comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like what does it mean to let go of those things? There has been a part of me that thinks, what does it mean to let go of seeing my relationship to men in that light? can I have relationships with men if I have to relearn how to do it Mm. or do I, am I just not interested anymore? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. But the other thing is like, fuck, there's so much more headspace. Yeah. Yeah. And just the fact that I think you kind of know then as well, that if any kind of comment that comes your way, it's just not going to have the effect on you that it, that it might've at one time. Being it being in the fat body, I think I said to a troll once, "Dude, <laughs> give up. You're not going to hurt me because unless you're my mum, your comments aren't going to sting." <laughs> and <laughs> and that's the thing. Even now, like I mean, my mum will still. I, I've put an absolute stop to any body talk or food talk around my kids 
but my mum will still bring things up. I mean, the other day we were talking about the COVID vaccine and um, I'm slightly higher up the priority list because of my weight. Um, and so, of course, it was uh, the conversation started out, what do you weigh now and what clothes size are you and all that sort of stuff. And I was sitting in the car and I just thought, I know th- I know what you're doing. You're trying to get at me and it's not it's mm. just not working. And then just watching how the interaction played out it was almost like a sort of sounds a bit wanky but like an out of body experience because I was just there just watching and it felt like I was just kind of almost watching a tv show of it do you know what I mean and I just thought I don't I don't care and you are more bothered that I don't care and it's just yeah it's very freeing but then it's also you do kind of think what does this mean going forward because there's such a pattern to relationships isn't there and mm. I then I back and a forth and a give and a take and when when something that has become quite a fundamental part of that gets taken out it's like taking a pin out of some out of a grenade almost it's like Mm. what's we don't know what's happening here now how are we going to jog along together it's bizarre that's such a good way to put to put it because there's something as well I don't know if this is true of your relationship with your mum but I would say that definitely it was true of my relationship with my mum when she was alive you know, for as for as much as our relationship is really wonderful as well, there was definitely this element to it. And I think it's it's exists in so many mother-daughter relationships. Yeah. Of that sense of of surviving diet culture together. Yeah. You know, counting calories together. And as much as a mother might say, I don't want my daughter to be subjected to the same pressures that I was and if you if you really were able to sit down and say, look, do you want this beautiful child that you've created, who you love and adore, do you want them to grow up hating themselves? Any rational yeah. person would say, of course not. Of course I don't want that for them. I want them to be, I want them to love themselves the way that I love them. And yet, as you said before, you know, this kind of like indoctrination into watching what's on their plates, noticing if they're getting too quote unquote chubby or whatever that is supposed to mean in children or in anyone. Um and, and interfering. I remember with my mum, you know, I had a pretty severe, well, when I say severe, I had a visibly severe eating disorder when I was a teenager, as so many of us do. And my mum was really worried for, you know, quite a long time. And I remember walking down into the kitchen one day when I was 13 and I was wearing these school trousers that I'd just bought and I was really quite thin. And she looked at me and she said she was super distressed and she hadn't seen my body unclothed because I wasn't wearing a top I was just wearing this bra she hadn't seen my body unclothed for a while and she was really worried and she kind of implored me please eat please eat um and of course at the time I was like she's just jealous you know all these like fucked up things that go on in your head where you think that you simultaneously think at the same time that you're the most grotesque human that has ever existed and yet also that everyone is just really mad that you've kind of achieved some level of perfection that they haven't um you know as is so often the case with diet culture I ended up uh my body changed again and um I put on weight necessarily so and then I I put on what my mother would say was too much weight and as a teenage girl still, I remember reaching for a second helping of food at the dinner table one night and she looked at me and she said, do you really think you need that? I got really mad and I said to her, how could you say that to me after, 
after what happened. And she said, I'll never forget it. And I don't think she's a bad person. I think that she just exists in the world that we all do. She said, Clementine, you promised me to tell you if you were ever getting fat again, and I'm just keeping my promise. Oh. But I feel like in some way there is some, there can be an, a, a developed sense of solidarity, weirdly like toxic solidarity between mothers and daughters that I'm not alone anymore. Like we can talk yeah. about counting calories together. We can go on diets together. We can, we can walk together. We can discuss how, how important it is for us to be thin for our man. But what's not being said is we're navigating the patriarchy together. When there's, exactly. there's there's no recognition of that, it's just this is the card we've been dealt, and you're gonna walk it with me. Mm. Mm. How are you changing things with your kids? There's, well, I mean, first of all, the way I talk about my body, when I, well, I rarely do, but the way I talk about my body is always with praise. Or, um, you know, I'm not I'm not standing in front of the mirror all day saying, look how wonderful I am, children. It's not <laughs> it's not that. But you it should. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, but it's also this things like enjoying your body, like, you know, mm. dancing carefree and shaking your bum around and all that sort of stuff. I mean, my son regularly tells me, mum, just love your fat bum. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> You know, but one of my favorite stories about him, though, is he, um, when he started school, a kid tried to upset him by saying, you know, oh, your mom's so fat. And my son came home and told me and he said, I said, what did you say? And he went, well, I just looked at him and said, yeah. <laughs> like, he was just he was he was like, mom, I don't like I don't really know what he was trying to say. He looked angry, but like, I don't know. He just didn't understand the point of the comment. Yeah. It was like, well, congratulations, your eyes work. Like, it was just. Yeah. And it's because we've just, you know, we normalize the word in the house. And we obviously talk about how, how people use it in a cruel way and how not, you know, it's, well, it's never good to talk about other people's bodies unless you're invited into a conversation to do so. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying it's okay for him to go around calling people fat if that's what he sees. But at the same time, it's like, hey, you know, it's not this bad thing that everyone's made it out to be. Mm. Um, body autonomy is huge. You know, everyone's allowed to do what they want with their bodies. Um, and, yeah, just trying to kind of educate against all the mainstream messaging as far as possible. But without, I mean, it's only really my eldest at the moment because my youngest is too little. But, um, but yeah, without the without overloading him with stuff and, you know, just trying to fit it into conversation as and when things come up. Mm. Mm. It's uh, I mean, we all this is the thing. We all have the opportunity to do better than our parents did, don't we? And to do for our children what we wish had been done for us. Yeah. Um, I sometimes think like how different would my life and my perception of myself be if I hadn't been like swamped in these messages from such a young age. And that's, I mean, I guess the thing is I was, so that's fine. I just have to live with that. But we can say the, you know, the, the harm stops with me. Yeah. Break the cycle. Dearest, lovely Cara, shall we get to the questions? Yeah, let's do it. 
Please note my disclaimer in very big flashing lights that neither I nor Kara are doctors, counsellors or professionally trained sex therapists. We're just two humans who've got a little thing called life experience and who both spend hours making 30 second videos on the internet. <laughs> Hey, Clem and Cara, I'm wondering what sort of qualities you believe a decent guy embodies and if there are any well-known guys who'd be, who could be great role models or examples for educational and, and insight purposes, of course. Cara, I think that's the shortest question I've ever read out on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, gosh. As, as for well-known men, that is tough. I don't know. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, my... I mean, my personal thing that I had always looked for in guys, even from like the early, you know, early stages in interactions, was what they're like in terms of making fools of themselves. Are mm. they comfortable being embarrassed? That was a huge thing for me because I was not ready to deal with anyone whose ego couldn't take a little bit of, well, no, I don't want to say banter because I hate how banter gets misused to, you know, mistreat people under the guise of jokes but you know just just things like being a bit of a goofball I mean I call my husband mm. the goofball all the time it that was huge for me because I think when people men specifically get too caught up in their image and how they're coming across to the world then I tend to get the sense that that takes priority over everything else including you like that's if that's their if that's the thing that's super important to them then it always gives me this kind of impression that that is going to be protected at all costs and you will always take a back seat to that so I don't know that was something I always I always looked out for so yeah and I think about well-known men somebody I I've always really liked is um Sasha Baron Cohen the guy who does, um, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, well, he tends to dress up and sort of go undercover to to highlight important issues. Again, I suppose I like him because he's, you know, he does these things in a in a comedy way. I don't know. He's always come across as quite a gentle person and obviously not afraid to make a fool of of himself. Um, yeah, I, that's and then obviously there's. There's other things. But that's like that's they... interesting, though, because is Sasha Baron Cohen willing to make a fool of himself, or is he willing to satirize tropes and and look, you know, potentially foolish doing it? Because I'm not disagreeing with you, but maybe there is a distinction as well: is that when you're in that raw vulnerability of self, if you're willing to still be laughed at, then that's a good point, actually, because I suppose as a performer in the way that he performs, he's not, yeah, because he, he's got a mask on, hasn't he? Mm. And lots of comedians, you know, male comedians in particular, are perfectly willing as part of their acts to get on stage and kind of mock themselves a bit. And yet off stage, when they're, you know, the sad clown emerges. Yes. Uh, and particularly if it's a woman doing the kind of gentle ribbing. It's, it's that thing of like, again, what happens you know, in public versus in private. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree with you completely that like a man who is willing to let you laugh at him and to laugh at himself as well is, uh, it's not necessarily that, oh, that's a keeper, but that's a good sign that you should look for someone who is able to be ridiculous and to be seen as ridiculous by his lover. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that that just, you know, being a funny man is kind of yeah, they're different. The key to they're that, different. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, lots of people talk about you know, I just want him to make me laugh, and and that is a huge thing, and it's it is important. But yeah, there's a difference between being the funny man and then allowing yourself to be the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And again, not not jokes that are actually harmful, but you know, bit of gentle ribbing now and again, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. where you're just because there's a lot of the time, especially it's the people who say actually, oh, it's just a bit of banter when they've said something really harmful. They're the ones who can't, who cannot take the tiniest bit of ribbing themselves, not mm. one tiny bit. And yet they're so willing to dish it out. So, mm. so yeah. Yeah, they, they'll like accelerate from zero to 10 in, in nanoseconds. Yeah. If they exactly. feel like they've been, um, yeah, it's like a, the, um, you know, oh, looking for somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously. And whenever I read that, I always think you take yourself so seriously, mate. Because, <laughs> exactly. Because we both know that a woman who doesn't take you seriously is a crime. That's a hate exactly. crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. I, um, I, I just, I think this is such a huge thing with men in general, this whole kind of, they have to, they have to keep appearance in that way. They have to be manly. They have to be laddie. They have to be macho. Mm. They have to be the strongest and the alpha. And it's that, it's that that I push against. And I always think the, the slightly more uh, goofy characters. And again, again, not, not just the funny guy, but you know, those are the ones so they usually start off in the background a bit more they're not like at the front of the pack they're not they're often not the ones who are holding the conversation in in a group of men um they're the ones that you know sit in the background and and I think it's it's that it's when they are willing to let other people be center stage I suppose which Mm. is a good a good indicator because then you know they're their spotlight doesn't depend entirely on keeping other people out of it. And yeah, it makes total sense. I completely agree. And also that they will not in public and private as well, but they will not, um, they'll not sacrifice you in order to get some kind of like lick of the spotlight. You yeah, know, that, that you know that thing of like, and I'm sure women do it too, but they just lack the same kind of structural power as men. That the ways in which men, some men, will let their mates make horrendous jokes about oh, yeah. their girlfriends. It's I've been looking lately at all these um, groups on Facebook. You know, um, I don't know if it's a British thing as well, but in Australia, there's this kind of gross trend of like blokes and their you know blokes and their lawns, blokes and their cobs, like <laughs> cob bread being, you know, a fucking loaf of bread that has cheese built into it like it's it's a bread there's a group that's called blokes and their cobs and the ostensible kind of purpose of it is to celebrate bread I think that's (laughs) on the surface that's wonderful like get together and bond about how much you love cheesy bread (laughs) but 
Within these groups and within these like hyper male spaces, a lot of them have these really obnoxious rules, like an unnecessary ones, it seems. I mean, people send me screenshots of them. No non-blokes, they call women non-blokes. And, you know, some of them refer to us as two holes, which is just delightful. No non-blokes allowed, no non-blokes commenting, blah, 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 blah. It's, and it's like, if you want to say, this is a space for men to get together and talk with each other and bond and relate over, you know, things like lawns and bread and stuff that we like because patriarchy has denied us the simple pleasure of existence in its own way, then say that. We are here dismantling patriarchal notions of masculinity in this space by enjoying cooking fucking cheesy bread together. (laughs) But because... Because they, like all of these kind of connections between men have to be passed through this sort of, well, it's gay to enjoy each other's company in this way. So we need to do things that like solidify our manhood together and solidify our like existence as the pack. So while we're appreciating this cheesy bread or while we're appreciating a nicely manicured lawn, we'll talk about how fucking shit our girlfriends are. Well, no, that's a bad yeah. example because women talk about how shit their boyfriends are all the time. But it's And it's not even that. It's more like... We'll, we'll post, like I've seen screenshots in these groups of men posting pictures of their girlfriends in, in not with the intention necessarily of, of harming them, but saying, oh, here's, here's the non-bloke with a, with a cob and sitting by and saying nothing as dozens and dozens of men comment about her looks, sexualize her, talk about, you know, whether or not she's whether or not she's got a warm cob, all of this kind of like repulsive stuff. And I look at it and I think, fuck man, for all of their, for all of their nonsense about how they don't take themselves too seriously and men just get on with things and men aren't afraid of everything all the time, blah, 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 blah. They're so terrified, yeah, terrified of other men. And so what you're saying about, you know, being willing to be the goofball and take the back seat and not have to assert themselves in those like like those gross alpha kind of ways is hugely appealing to me and to most women. I think you have the misfortune of being attracted to men because yeah, we know that we know that they'll never sacrifice us at the altar of masculinity too. Yeah, exactly. I always kind of, I always had a, I just wondered where that disconnect was. Why why is it that men kind of hate on women and have to ridicule women when it's actually the other men in their lives who are the ones who make them feel like shit for, mm. you know, showing a bit of emotion or, you know, dealing with that emotion when, when things arise instead of just bucking up and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I always wondered, I was like, why? Why are you not looking at the other men in your life just thinking – it's you it's you that's made me ashamed and it's always the other women and i think it's the same as it's the same as the the issue with phobia as well and and when you're looking at other people you're not i think with men especially when they've got say, say quite overbearing fathers it's like well that guy is at the pinnacle of everything he walks through life without a care in the world and so I want to be like him. And then it's mm. like, well, I'd rather be the boot than be under the boot. So the only way to do that is to look at what's next to me instead of looking at what's doing the harm. Do you know what I mean? 100%. So it's, yeah. so yeah, mm. it's, so it's, it's just, it's, it's bullshit. Is what it, is. <laughs> just, it totally is. It's and I think, that, I think that men have the same, you know, men kind of navigating patriarchy and being, 
harmed by it in different ways to women, but still harmed by it, have the same fear of what it means to unlearn it. What does it mean to stand up against it? How does that place my role on the hierarchy of power, which is really the hierarchy of men? Um, You know, I think that uh, we don't, again, like I said earlier, we don't talk enough about the ways in which women are used as a measure of power between men and how, how really like men's competition uh, and men's anger at women is never about the women themselves. It's about how other men perceive them. Um, so I think, you know, going back to this question as well, like what makes a decent man, I think someone who's willing to explore patriarchy and explore what, you know, what the formation of masculinity has been like for him is indicative of someone who is open enough to listen to your experience of patriarchy, but also to recognize how toxic the whole fucking mess is. Someone asked me tonight or last night on the Friday night bite, someone asked me what, what three questions would you recommend asking a new date? And I said, one of the questions was ask him what his experience of childhood and toxic masculinity was. If they're unwilling to kind of even have the conversation to me, that indicates it's a paranoia about who might hear them having it, you know, in the same way that some women are really scared of, even being like adjacently associated with feminists because patriarchy might be watching and I might somehow, you know, displease it. Oh, that was me when I was younger. I I was Mm. like, feminism, no, it's not for me. (laughs) Definitely. I love men. Yeah. Yeah. Pick (laughs) me. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on when I was younger. Oh, shudder. Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, that that I saw that on your Friday Night Bites and I agreed 100% because I just I could just picture the scenario of there being that first date and the guy just instantly shutting down the conversation like no we're not we're not doing that we're not going mm. there. And then that would be it red flag for me. Like done. Mm. That was another thing I was thinking as well about um what would you what would you look for and I would also say have they been to therapy would they consider therapy not necessarily trying to suggest that they definitely needed it but like if something happened in your life would you consider Mm. going to talk about it because I think that's a huge just talking about emotions in general and just being willing to face them and not bury them by you know going to your Facebook group to talk about cobs or whatever it is you want to do instead do you know what I mean like just get on with it face it talk about it um that's that that's that would be a huge thing for me yeah, and also recognizing that it's a, you know, empl- employing the service of a, services of a professional is essential in dealing with your mental health issues, but also that it's not the job of the woman that ends up stuck with you to kind of absorb all of that. Um, another thing I think is really important is to look for curiosity in a man is he curious about lives outside of his own is he curious about your life something I often say to women particularly those who come to me who maybe have been partnered or married for a long time and feel very unseen in their own house and I just feel like that is one of the saddest things that I ever hear is women who feel unseen to feel invisible is kind of like from all of these different yeah. areas is it's just like a little death of the soul And so I often say to them, you know, with your husband or your partner, 
if you said to him, what do you know about me? What would he say? Not what do you like about me? Because often if you say to a man, what do you like about me? It'll be framed as like, well, I love that you take such good care of us. I love that you make such delicious food. Like it's never about who she is as a person. Yeah. So if you say to a man, what do you know about me? If you've been married to someone for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they should be able to say, oh, I know that you like to have your tea like this in the morning. I know that you're cranky when this happens. I know that you really once wanted to be a dancer, but it didn't happen for you. I know that you, you know, I know that you cry when you see this commercial come on TV, like all these little things that should be noticed. And, uh, you know, there's that great essay that I don't know if you read, it was kind of being shared around last year. It was in the Paris review and it was about the woman who had left her fiance a week before their wedding. Um, it was a memoir piece. She left her fiance a week before the wedding and went off to do this study trip of, you know, she was writing a book about the mating patterns of cranes. I think so she went on this scientific research expedition and, and she writes the essay kind of looking back through her relationship and also being on this expedition and she describes this man that she was with as being, you know, pretty much wholly un- uninterested in the particulars of her life. She remembers leaving and the year before leaving, one being this sort of storm of emotions as she kind of nagged at him. She wanted him to notice things about how I was living. And I remember reading that and thinking that is literally all that a lot of women want in these yeah. partnerships. I mean, they should want more, but the very basic thing that they want is for the man that they've chosen to spend their life with to notice things about yeah. how they are living. And and often they don't even get that. Yeah, yeah. Which is when you consider that's what is at the, for a lot of people at the core of what we want, it's interesting that we spend, we've been convinced that we need to spend so much time, energy and money working on the shell that we're in. Mm. You know, we want mm. to be noticed for who we are, not what we look like. And yet we're told that that part of us is not is not really worth looking at so much. It's all about the exterior, not the interior. So oh, that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to briefly conclude that question, I think that, you know, fundamentally what if you're looking for, uh, you know, potentially a male partner which it sounds like from this question you might be fundamentally what you should be seeking is someone who is able to laugh at themselves in in generous ways not in ways that are cruel or unkind someone who is able to let you laugh at them in generous ways someone who is curious about your life but also curious about the lives of other people curious about the world that we live in and who when you notice things about the way they are living you see someone who is a complex human being that is is open to the world in all of its glories. Absolutely, 100%. If only more men were able to – I mean, it's men are definitely capable of it, but just patriarchy's done a number on them the way that it yeah. has to all of us. Okay, this is kind of a long one, but I think it's a really important and interesting one. Hi, Big Sisters. I recently started seeing a guy I matched with on Hinge. 
We've met briefly before through mutual friends and after a string of bad dating experiences, I decided I'd give this guy a go. I've always found him attractive, so I thought, why not? Three dates in and he's great. We get along so well. I'd stayed over a few times, but we were drunk and I didn't want to have drunk sex. All good, no sex yet, other fun things, but we were still getting to know each other. Anyway, last weekend arrives. We catch up, we have a few too many wines, venue hop, have a boozy fun night, and he comes back to mine and we don't have sex. But in the morning, I suggested maybe we could try. The sex, however, is obviously not working for either of us during this moment. After a few attempts, he suggests, she says, after a few limp lol attempts, he suggests we try from behind and I'm fine with that. I get some extra lube. It's all good. But then he starts jackhammering into me. Because I'm a woman and we've been trained to be nice, spew, I kind of brace and pull a face that he can't see. After a while, it gets stronger and faster and I laugh and make a joke about us going to take off. Oh, we're going to take off and suggest that we stop. It's awkward. It's awkward, but not that awkward. We have breakfast and pretend it's never happened. But I've never had anything like that happen to me before and I know his intentions in that moment were fine. He's just working out what I like. It has lingered with me for a few days though. I went for a swim yesterday and I thought about all the things I do to care for my body, only to have a dude think he can literally slam himself into it like it's no big deal. I even had sore hips for a few days. Anyway, we've still still been talking and I looked at his Insta followers to suss out our mutual friends and found that he also follows a few, what I would say are like porny accounts. One's about latex girls and another that's just feels like uncomfortably young pinup models. I don't know. How do I talk to this seemingly nice guy about these things? Whew, Cara, a lot in there. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I want to just ask, first of all, are you okay? Because that having the realization that something that has happened to you, you know, possibly isn't okay can be really hard when you've, mm. when you've learned to kind of pass off a lot of this stuff as normal and then you find yourself questioning it afterwards actually I'm in pain and I shouldn't be in pain and Mm. I didn't enjoy that and it's making me question things you know the fact that you then this situation seems to have prompted you to check out some of his interests and stuff like that that's an indicator that you know that it wasn't okay and that's that's hard to deal with when you've already been through it um and you're right, we are conditioned to, to just mm. put up things as they're going. I should say not- that I discussed it further with her when she messaged me and there's no indication that she feels like this was, you know, an assault or anything like that. Uh, so yeah. I think that in that respect, she's fine. Um, I I related to the question as well because I feel like I've had experiences like that too where you're like, what the f- fuck are you gonna what are you doing back there you know yeah I think it speaks to you know once again firstly this terrible disappointment that happens when you like someone and you feel like you're getting along really well with them and then when the moment of physical intimacy happens you realize oh fuck they've been completely informed by pornography yeah yeah which is not and I want to say from the outset that is not saying that anyone who uh creates pornography or that pornography in and of itself is bad but obviously we live in a misogynistic world in which anything will be exploited to perpetuate misogyny 
it's also not saying that the accounts that he follows on Instagram, that's not a malignment of those women at all. She was just more concerned that it was indicative of his particular tastes. Yeah. Um, and how that would suit her as a person who was seeking to have a physical relationship with him. Yeah. And there, there's also, I think there's there's this huge thing of if if a potential partner ticks so many boxes, then we just have to accept that a couple aren't mm. going to be ticked. Mm. And, you know, that's not right. And especially with something as important as physical intimacy, because it's a huge part of a relationship. And if you're... I mean, what happened there, the scene that was described, there didn't seem to be any concern for her enjoyment there. It wasn't just no. about, you know, are you okay or, or is this okay? It was, it was, are you enjoying Do you like this? this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to have, yeah, and I, I, the, the problem with porn is, you know, all the women in porn, in mainstream porn that, that is, you know, free and stuff. It's that women are absolutely adoring all of this mm. male-centered action. Mm. Um, and I think there's part of us that sometimes feel like we have to also be that way, regardless of what's happening. We have to always act like we're enjoying it. And that's, yeah, it's just not right. Mm. Mm. And so it's like I said uh, last night again, that, We've never had so much of an abundance of, you know, freely accessible, supposedly erotic material available to us. You know, at the click of a button, you can get any kind of porn you could possibly think of. We've never had so much of it freely available to us and yet been so like chronically disconnected from our own concept of pleasure and what erotic really even means. The number of people... I know, and I've done it myself, you know, who feel like they need to perform sex rather than experience yeah. it is shocking. Well, it's not, it's not even shocking. Like it's completely predictable, but it's just very sad. I think that, you know, I, the times where I've had sex with men and it's been like just a very unsatisfying experience of being jackhammered, as she said, in all of those cases, you know, once I probed further, um, yeah, the commonality was watching too much porn. And there's there's it's it's really hard to have this conversation because, you know, as La 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 let me explain often finds on her Instagram account when she's doing, you know, a lot of really important and powerful education about sex and sexual interaction between people. Anytime you kind of criticize or critique even these dynamics, people will pop up and say, Well, you're kink shaming. You're kink shaming him for jackhammering. It's like, no, no. no. No, it's not this is not kink shaming. In fact, if anything, this is this is acknowledging that a lot of these things aren't kinks. They're not kinks. Yeah. They're they're habits. Yeah. And they're harmful. Yeah. yeah. And I think as well, I think with this particular situation, it's such a it was such a given that there was some um issues with arousal previously as what was described it's such a that you know doing it from behind and, and going at mm. it hammer and tongs is such a classic kind of male dominant thing that you see in porn a lot and and it just seems a bit like he was like right now I've, I've got this and and this is me being manly again and and it's again it's it's so 
there's absolutely zero concern there for the enjoyment of the woman. Mm. And I remember you mentioned Lala, let me explain. I remember she had on her stories a few weeks ago, a young guy who was uh, boasting about, he basically asked girls that he'd slept with for reviews afterwards. Like he made them fill in these questionnaires. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, you know, they're all putting tens and all the rest of it, 10 for 10 for his, you know, head game and all of this stuff. And I was like, it's a lie. It's a lie mm. because we're conditioned to believe that if we don't massage that male ego, then we're not going to get picked. Yep. And so we have to lie and we have to forgo our own pleasure all the time. Can you imagine also, I'm sorry, can you imagine handing out review forms to men that you fucked and saying I would like you to review please my performance guaranteed in all of those cases you would have put in more of an effort than them anyway but men would definitely be like four three (laughs) yeah yeah um you know the thing that really stuck out to me about this question and that I hadn't thought of explicitly before but that I thought she phrased so beautifully was that this this moment lingered with her and yes like she didn't perceive it to be you know a violation Mm. but she obviously did experience it as something unpleasant um and and dismissive once again dismissive of this like noticing things about the way that I'm living noticing things about how I am in this moment just not relevant to the to the sex that was happening evidently but that she said you know I went away and I had a swim And I thought about all of the things that I do to care for my body and to love my body. And that this guy just felt like he could get behind me and just jackhammer me. Yeah. I thought, fuck, man, that is so true. Like all of the things. And also like, even if you kind of like zoom out a little bit and you, and you say even the way that capitalism exploits the notion of self-care to kind of say to women, you deserve self-care. Here's some bath bubbles for you to go and do some self-care. And yet that same system doesn't want to discuss that the biggest fucking risk to our care for ourselves is the way that men treat us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's And it's such a, with it being such a physical thing as well, and, you know, and a lot of people say, well, self-care is just, you know, making sure you chill out with Netflix and wine, but a lot of it is to do with how you're physically caring for your body. Like you say, a bath bomb and face Mm. masks and all that sort of stuff. It's all centered on, and self-care rituals that are like that, it's all to do with getting in touch with your body as well and feeling good and feeling your skin and, and all that physicality. And then to have all of that kind of be abandoned for the sake of some man in the bedroom. Mm. How, how are we doing that? so quickly well okay patriarchal conditioning it's always the patriarchal conditioning (laughs) but I mean it's it's mind-blowing to me that that it happens to us so easily Mm. that it all it gets forgotten in the moment because the man's pleasing the man always comes front and center definitely yep and watching yourself please him you know you just talked about being in the car with your mum and kind of floating above your body and watching it as if it was a tv show this is essentially the way in which women most women interact with cis men most of the time is watching themselves outside of their body and scrutinizing their performance yeah definitely i mean i've particularly where sex is concerned yeah i've definitely been in situations where i've been lying there thinking i'm not enjoying this 
and yet at no point did I think it was okay for me to say, you know what, it's it's not going well for me. Should we just stop? At no point. It's always got to let him finish now. Yeah, well, sex and, doesn't finish until the man comes, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I'm continuing to endure something that, and yeah, it's not it's not like it's always seen as a as a violation, but it's just that why are we so okay with enduring things that mm. we're not enjoying? You know, I think that's it's, yeah. I think it's like you know, distinguishing between that. And this is a really relevant conversation to so much of what is happening. Uh, you know, particularly in Australia right now, we're having a real reckoning with sexual assault. I mean, there's always like every few years you have a real reckoning with sexual assault and then patriarchy sweeps it under the carpet again and men go back to being in power and control. Um, but there is a lot of uh, a lot of stories coming out about sexual assaults that have occurred in Parliament House, perpetuated mm. by staffers. There's also an historical allegation that's just been made against a cabinet minister, as yet unnamed. So it's sort of at the forefront of people's conversations now. Um, it's that little, you know, that it's the assumption that unless it's an explicit violation that could be charged by the police, that somehow yeah. it's not, everything else is fine. You know, I I often find this when I'm talking about sex and rape culture in particular and how the two of them are so like muddied that a lot of people, most of them men, but also some of them women will reach immediately for that. Well, she consented. I mean, they don't know that she consented, but she consented or, well, why doesn't she go to the police? It's, It's like unless I really think that in people's minds, unless you I know I just said this before, but I'm going to say it again. But unless you can go to the police and say, this person did this thing to me and they're like, right, well, we're going to go and arrest the bloody dickhead right now. We're going to bloody arrest him right now. Um, That everything outside of that is all good. It's all good. There's no, there is, there's no need for people to be kind to each other. There's no need for people to listen to their partner's desires, to even ask what they want. There's no need to have sex that is mutually pleasurable and actually like, explores the human experience like Jacqueline Friedman one of my favorite quotes about sex Jacqueline Friedman says sex is something that should make all people feel more human by the end of it not less and people don't want to have that conversation because it means that a lot of sex that a lot of men are having would be um off the cards like off the table and they don't want they don't want to have a world in which we curb men's behavior, of course. I mean, what what kind of crazy talk is that? Um, so this kind of idea, I feel like I'm getting a little bit off track, but the idea that we lie there and we just endure it, endure it, the idea that we lie there and we just endure it, I think is one of the other things that contributes to that slow death by a thousand cuts, you know, the slow death of the soul, yeah. that you end up just lying there and going, well, this is this is what happened. And you might walk away and you don't feel like anything bad really happened, but you also don't feel good. And sex yeah. is something that should make you feel good. Yeah, exactly. If, it, if the situation is, is playing on your mind and you're questioning it afterwards, and or then, yeah, exactly, you're right. Unless you're coming away grinning and, and feeling like you've, you've had a great time, then it it wasn't good. Simple as that. And something has to change. 
And a great time can also be not orgasming. A great time yes. can be awkward sex. It can be fumbling yeah. around and having erectile problems or not coming or like yeah. feeling like your body's just not willing to wake up. Like all of that stuff can still be great because actually what then is being worked on is the intimacy and the connection between two people. And like you said before, the willingness to laugh at yourself. You know, a yeah. man who's willing to laugh at himself because his dick doesn't work, yeah. I, I think is very attractive. Um, yeah. In terms of this, you know, this little sister and what she is asking is essentially what she's asking is, can I, is there, is it worth exploring a future with this person or is it going to be a problem? And I think that that's a legitimate question to ask. Um, You know, communication is always the first port of call. Sit down with him, explain that you didn't have fun, explain that you don't like your body being treated like that that you're not blaming him for it but you need him to know going forward that this is yeah. not, that that kind of sex is not going to work for you. Yeah. Um and really gauge how he responds to that. Yeah, absolutely. Once again this is like what you were saying before Cara, you know, like how a man responds to things is is the information that you need, right? Yeah, exactly. And if if he did have a, a drink induced issue with with getting it up let's just say as it is mm-hmm. um that is going to be embarrassing for him but then how does he handle that embarrassment mm-hmm. you're you bringing it up saying hey look let's work together on this because doing it the way we did the other day as you say was not good for me let's work on that i'm i'm i'm, I'm not going anywhere i'll stick around well let's work on it together obviously again women putting in the work but you know if if he's willing to get into that with you and discuss it great if he shuts it down completely and can't get over his embarrassment then he's he just strikes me as a sort of person that has his own needs front and center and nobody else's will ever come close and if he is you know the middle ground there is if he is willing to have that conversation and he thinks you know he thinks you're worth exploring this with which he should do um if he continues to have performance problems, you know, if we're going to speak euphemistically or whatever, if if he continues to have erectile problems, then he needs to be willing to like look at the connection between the porn that he watches and his ability to actually have pleasurable sex and his ability yeah. to to have sex with another person as opposed to just on their body. Yeah. with whatever yeah. like narrative is playing around in his head because that's because unless he can do that not only will his relationship with you fail but his relationship with all women will fail yeah yeah exactly and does he ultimately want that i mean that could be a question that you ask is that is that what you want then are you really going to be happy in a relationship if you just have someone who is allowing that to continue mm. and i mean 99.9% of women i would imagine would not enjoy that um and let's see what his answer is, because this is something that I think men don't, they don't want to think about that sort of stuff. They'd much rather keep doing the things that's, that's a distraction from the main issue than mm. actually stop and face stuff, even if that means they're sacrificing their happiness too in the long run. Oh my God, it's so true and it's so sad. Yet another one of the ways that patriarchy fucks men up and yeah. in fucking them up paves the way for them to fuck up everyone around them yeah the last thing that I'll say before we close this out is 
what this little sister said about thinking about the ways that she cares for her body, I would love for everyone listening to this to go away and really ruminate on that. Think about the ways that you care for your body, the things that you do to love your body. And, you know, and hopefully you do do those things. If you don't, then I implore you to start. But think about all of those ways that you love and respect and are kind to your body and you do things to make it feel good. And then start to think about the ways in which patriarchy has conditioned you to disregard that when it comes to interacting with men physically. Um, And I'm not telling you to do anything about that yet. I'm just saying go away and think about it and start that conversation with yourself because it was definitely kind of a game changer for me when I read that she'd said that. Yeah. And just, and compare your respect for your body to the respect others give it because there's absolutely no reason why somebody you're getting intimate with should not have the exact same respect level for your body that you do. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be any less. Mm -hmm. Amen. You've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no-nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back, your big sisters. If you have a question, you can submit it to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com. And don't worry, all submissions are treated as totally anonymous. We're big sisters and we've got your back. And if you'd like to support the ongoing making of this podcast, you can find me on Patreon under the username Clementine Ford. My guest this week has been Cara McBee, international famous funny human and scourge of fat phobic wankers everywhere. Cara, any last words? Oh, <laughs> put me on the spot now. Um, just look after yourselves out there, guys. <laughs> it's a shit show right now. Um, and yeah, just I think make sure that when you are thinking about things and the situations that you're in to question is this making me feel good? Is it something I really feel deep down or is my reaction to this the way I've been conditioned to react Mm. just stop and think a little bit more about how you are moving through the world (laughs) (laughs) well I love that you're moving through the world I love having discovered you in the last year like I've discovered so many incredible women through the pandemic it does deliver in some ways people can follow you on Instagram at Nanny McBee that's M-A-C-B but I'll link all this in the liner notes they can also follow you on TikTok they can uh, enjoy the voracious good humor that you bring to the world. I think that you're hilarious. You've definitely expanded my mind on lots of things. And I'm really, really glad that you're in the world. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'm very grateful to you as well. Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead. The Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.